0: This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author chris luster. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, and scenes of terror violent misogyny, and graphic violence. Listener discretion is strongly advised. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is Episode 314. Greetings, listeners. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I am Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamore City story universe. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fiction with you and tell you about my journey as a writing professional. More on that later in the show. For now, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 55 in my Metamore City novel, Making the Cut. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 259 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Abby Preston has come to Eastside General, a hospital run by the Psy Collective, looking for sanctuary for herself and Darla, her unborn child. Though she's only at about seven months' gestation, Darla has already shown a powerful talent for both telepathy and ESP. Unfortunately, that power has cursed her with visions she cannot understand, which often cause her to lash out in frustration at Abby. Abby knew that she needed the help of a telepathic doctor, but Victor was dead set against going back to the Collective. When Abby pressed the issue, he assaulted her, nearly choking her to death with his telekinesis. That experience told Abby that she couldn't trust Victor to control his anger around her and the baby, so at the first opportunity, she ran away. She came to Eastside looking for Daniel Shirabi, Victor's old sparring partner, and one of the only people in Victor's book of contacts whom Abby thought she could trust. Instead of Daniel, she found his female alter ego, Danny Shirabi, but she still agreed to help Abby however she could. Danny checked Abby into the hospital under an assumed name, then asked Sasha to look after her, while Daniel joined a mission to try to take down Victor. But Danny didn't tell Sasha Abby's true identity, though she did warn her that the girl's ex-boyfriend was a dangerous psychopath. Privately, Daniel and Danny hoped that taking the initiative against Victor would mean that they could stop him before he could hurt anyone else but the mission Daniel joined was a trap, not for Victor, but for Daniel's friends, Brian and Fiona. The vampire prince has ordered their capture, and sent Miriam Bakhtavar, the telepathic elder turned vampire, to oversee the mission. With Daniel's help, Brian and Fiona escaped capture, and drove a stake through Miriam's heart, rendering her undead body as inanimate as any other corpse. But now they are exhausted from battle and half the city away from Sasha and Abby, just as Victor has begun his assault on the hospital, bent on revenge against the girl who stole his unborn child. As the power went out around them and their lift jerked to a halt, Abby told Sasha the truth about who she was and who was after her. Sasha was justifiably frightened at the thought of being hunted by her former mentor, but there's no time to panic. They need to get out of there, now. Making the Cut, a novel of Metamore City. Written and read by Chris Lester. Chapter 55 Sasha shoved with all the force her 43 kilos could manage. The big lever finally turned. There was a hiss of released air, and the outer lift doors slid open about a decimeter. Okay, she said, gesturing at the doors. You get that one and I'll get this one. Together, she and Abby pushed the doors open the rest of the way. The stopped car was about a meter below the level of the outer doors, but fortunately there was a ladder built into the side of the shaft. Abby moved slowly and awkwardly, but she was able to climb up and out of the car without assistance, which was a good thing, because Sasha was pretty sure she didn't have enough mass to haul the pregnant girl out of there by main strength. Quietly now, Sasha murmured as they headed down the hallway. Victor will expect us to take the closest emergency exit to get out, so we'll go across to the far end of the building and take the stairs from there. Keep your shields up and don't talk unless you have to. Our only advantage is that he doesn't know exactly where we are, so let's keep it that way. Abby nodded, her eyes wide. Sasha turned and led her onward. She wished mightily that she could talk to her people in the hospital security team— but she didn't dare open a telepathic link when it might give away their position. Like it or not, she and Abby were on their own here, unless somebody managed to get the comm systems back online. Considering who they were dealing with, though, Sasha wouldn't have been surprised if the servers for the wireless network were a pile of melted slag by now. Victor had always emphasized the need to take out your enemy's eyes and ears. Once you had them disorganized and confused... Your job was ten times easier. The halls of the hospital weren't completely dark, but the battery powered emergency lamps provided only spotty illumination, making the darkness between them seem doubly threatening. Abby's labored breathing was an ongoing counterpoint to the pounding of Sasha's own heart. She heard muffled gunshots from the floors below them, distant shouts, and the occasional boom of large, heavy objects hitting walls or ceilings. She kept Abby moving, as quickly and quietly as possible, until the sounds of battle faded into the distance. Unlike the hallways, the emergency stairwell was completely dark. Sasha frowned in momentary confusion. If anything, the stairwells had more emergency lights than the floors themselves. Then she stepped into the stairwell and heard the crunch of glass underfoot, and the reason for the blackout became obvious. "'Should we go back?' Abby whispered. "'No,' Sasha murmured, keeping her voice low but shaking her head emphatically. "'That's what he wants. He's trying to use our fear to hem us in, force us to take the path he's picked for us. Just hold on to the rail and take it nice and easy, and watch out for the glass.' the descent was agonizingly slow. Sasha went in front, sweeping glass out of Abby's path as quietly as possible. Sasha cursed the fact that she hadn't taken the time to have Abby put on her shoes, but then she hadn't known who she was dealing with at that point either. Her instincts screamed at her to run away, as far and as fast as possible, but there was no way they could outrun Victor in Abby's present condition. Stealth was their friend far more than speed. She consoled herself with the knowledge that time wasn't on Victor's side. Taking the hospital's power grid offline would alert emergency services and the higher-ups in the hive itself. Help would come if they could stay out of his sights long enough for it to get here. They reached the third-level exit landing after only three flights, but Sasha signaled for them to keep going. Victor would expect them to take the fastest, easiest way out of the building. That exit would be watched, sealed, or trapped, possibly all three. No, Sasha would take Abby down to the second Skyway level, through the hospital sublevels and into the office complex below. Victor might have been able to get into the hospital unnoticed, but the offices below it weren't hive-owned and Sasha doubted that he could have gotten away with sabotaging their stairwells without someone catching wind of it and calling the cops. Keep doing the unexpected. Keep him guessing. That's the only way you're going to get out of this. The door into the hospital sublevel zone was locked, but Sasha had the key, which was the ordinary brass mechanical kind and not an electronic pass card, thank Eli. They continued past the first sublevel in silence, but when they reached the second landing, Abby came up short. SL2, she whispered. Sasha was already sweeping glass off of the next flight of steps. She shone the light from her phone back up at Abby, who was standing transfixed in front of the locked door that led out of the stairwell into the second sublevel. What's wrong? Sasha murmured trying to keep the frustration out of her voice. It wouldn't accomplish anything to get angry at the girl. "'Sub-level two, Abby said, her eyes wide. "'That's where the crisis room is, where you said you were taking me. "'That was the old plan, Abby. "'Now I'm just trying to get you out of here. "'I know, but you told those other guards you were taking me here. "'So?' The answer came to Sasha a split second after she asked the question. A second after that, an earth-shaking boom rattled through the tower. It sounded like it had come from somewhere on the same floor. Abby said it anyway. So what if Victor left one of the guards alive long enough to tell him that? Move, Sasha snapped, dashing down the stairs. She kicked as much of the broken glass out of the way as possible but there was no time to be thorough. Oh, gods, Abby breathed, her rising panic showing in the soft whimper of her voice. Oh, gods, oh, gods, oh, gods. Six steps down, Abby's bare foot landed on a stray sliver of glass that Sasha had missed. To her credit, the girl didn't cry out, either verbally or psychically. Only a brief hiss of indrawn breath told Sasha what had happened. Unfortunately, the fear and adrenaline had burned through the last of the sleep enchantment on her unborn child, and while Abby had put up enough shields to hide her pain from Sasha, little Darla felt it almost as much as Abby. Faced with inexplicable pain and the echoes of her mother's fear, Darla responded the way any infant would. The psychic scream tore through Sasha's shields, stabbing white-hot pain through her temples and making her legs give way beneath her. She caught herself on the handrail, but Abby wasn't so lucky. She tumbled down to the next landing, her arms curled instinctively around her belly to protect the baby. Unfortunately, that meant that she wasn't shielding her head. The back of her skull cracked up against the railing as she fell. Not hard enough to fracture anything, but definitely enough to stun. Sasha rose to her feet, throwing all her strength into rebuilding her psychic shields. Darla's second scream was weaker than the first, and it still nearly blinded her with the force of its raw anguish. Good God, does that kid have power! Sasha tried to send her a wave of peace and reassurance, but the child was terrified and inconsolable and she was broadcasting their location to every teep in a three-click radius. Abby, get up! Sasha shouted, abandoning any hope of stealth. She put the force of her mind behind the words, and Abby's eyes fluttered twice, then opened. Sasha? Abby asked, sounding dazed. Get up, dammit! Another crash sounded above them, closer than the first. The sublevels were divided into self-contained secure sections, and Victor apparently wasn't interested in being subtle about getting through them. Sasha reached down and pulled on the girl's arms, trying to drag her to her feet. Since Abby outweighed her by at least twenty kilos, that was more easily said than done. Darla gave a third cry, then fell silent, apparently exhausting her tiny body's energy reserves. A moment later, Abby's eyes cleared, as she apparently remembered why Sasha was pulling on her. She got her uninjured foot under her and finally started helping Sasha to get her upright. She wrapped one arm around Sasha's shoulders and hobbled with her to the door to SL3. No time to run any farther, Sasha said, putting in the key and twisting it to open the door. Gotta get our backs to a wall. Try to hold him off. Something... As plans went, this one sucked, but it was all they had left. Maybe help would arrive in time. Sasha spotted a heavy security door ahead, the lights on the control pad glowing green. Apparently the battery backups were working fine here. SL3 was where the hospital kept its supply of drugs, the performance-enhancing combat meds that only active MID agents were supposed to have. The Collective had been making its own supply in secret for years now, for those unofficial missions that were sometimes necessary to defend Collective interests. Caches of the drugs were hidden all over the Empire, usually in Cyrun hospitals like Eastside. Performance enhancing. It was a long shot, and Sasha hated the idea with every fiber of her being. She went to the door anyway. It opened to her handprint and retinal scan, revealing a storeroom filled with shelves. She turned on the lights, which were still working, and directed Abby to a stool in front of the single workbench. After making sure that the door was shut and bolted behind them, Sasha started scanning through the shelves. "'What are you looking for?' Abby asked, the fear still thick in her voice." Evidently, she didn't trust that security door to stop Victor any more than Sasha did. This. Sasha grabbed an individually wrapped syringe, already filled with a turquoise-blue liquid. She tore off the wrapper, checked the body mass guide on the side of the syringe, and pressed down the plunger until it was at the line marked for 45 kilos. Abby's eye must have caught the label on the other side of the syringe. MD109? she asked. You probably know it is Mad John, Sasha said, uncapping the needle and pressing it into the vein just below her elbow. But that stuff is toxic. I know, Sasha murmured, then pressed the plunger home. An instant later, the world came alive with a swirling, pulsing glow that seemed to come from everywhere. An electric tingling crackled across her skin, making her hair stand on end. Her telepathy blossomed open around her, filling her with a sort of hyper-awareness. She could feel Abby's mind with new clarity, as well as the minds of everyone in the building around her, and she knew that she could reach out and touch any of them with her power. New strength surged into her muscles, and Sasha felt her lips spread apart in a savage grin. She felt invincible. She knew it was a lie. She knew that the synthetic neurotransmitter that was boosting her control over her psychic power was also slowly poisoning her. She had twenty minutes, maybe less. If she didn't take the antagonist before then, the Mad John would burn out her synapses, and she would fall into a coma and die. She grabbed the syringe containing the antagonist and stuck it in her pocket. This would be done in a lot less than twenty minutes, one way or another and right now, she felt like Victor was going to get a hell of a lot more than he bargained for. "'Here's what we do,' she said, the words spilling out of her like she'd just downed a triple espresso. "'We form a gestalt and pool our power together. That's a lot of juice, but with the Mad John I should be able to control it. Victor's gonna bust down that door, and when he does, I pry my way into his head and shut him down from the inside. I don't care what kind of weird-ass shielding he's got going for him—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—'—' He's gotta have some kind of link between his head and the rest of the world. Between you, me, and John, we're gonna find it. She pulled out her pistol and flicked off the safety. All we've gotta do is shut down his PK for a few seconds. Then he's mine. Sasha felt Abby's uncertainty, but the girl opened up her mind to her anyway. Sasha gasped at the sense of newfound power as her mind fused with Abby's, but with the heightened awareness brought on by the drug, they swiftly integrated their talents into a single psychic powerhouse. Identities flowed together and became one as Sasha Abbey drew her gun and turned to await her attacker. Come and get me, you bastard. Come and get me. A familiar buzzing sensation filled Sasha and Abbey's unified group mind, coming down from the floor above and growing louder as it approached. Thirty seconds later, the security door on the storeroom began to shake. Sasha Abbey moved both of her bodies into the back corner of the room, well out of the line of sight. Her Abbey body moved slowly with its injured foot, so she moved her Sasha body to assist it. At the same time, she reached out and began probing around that buzzing jumble of mental static, looking for pattern and structure in the apparent chaos. The Mad John was still singing in the nervous system of her Sasha body, slowly poisoning her even as it expanded her perceptions and amplified her psychic control. She made full use of it now, channeling more of her shared consciousness through that body, as she struggled to understand what was going on in Victor's head. The man's rage was obvious, driving him at a level deeper than conscious thought. But that wasn't going to be any help in shutting down his PK powers. Sasha Abbey needed to get into his cerebral cortex somehow. She started looking for a door. The security door groaned as an unseen force pried at its hinges. Sasha Abbey ignored it. Victor's thoughts were spilling out all over the place. He wasn't even trying to shield himself anymore. But they were all just fragments, pieces of unfinished ideas. Where are the rest of them? she wondered. A quick inventory of the thoughts she could sense confirmed that they weren't just jumbled. A lot of pieces were actually missing. With a Mad John giving her an unprecedented capacity for multitasking, Sasha Abbey laid out all the pieces of Victor's thoughts in a matrix, ordering them chronologically and by similar themes. The missing thought fragments now resembled a regular series of holes against the backdrop of Victor's consciousness. Sasha Abbey recalled mathematics that one or the other of them had learned at some point, and almost instantly she came up with an equation that described the pattern. It was more than consistent. It was perfectly mathematically predictable. No human mind could fragment itself into a pattern like that. Not without help, anyway. The door groaned again then shrieked as the hinges finally gave way. It fell out into the hallway with a boom. A moment later, heavy footsteps crossed over the fallen door and into the storeroom. "'Come out, come out, wherever you are,' Victor said, his voice chillingly calm compared with the rage that burned inside him. Sasha Abbey stayed out of sight behind the set of long shelves, all of which were much heavier than the door, and securely bolted down. She reached out for Victor's senses, looking for the link between his head and the outside world. There, in the occipital lobe. Victor's vision, at least, was an unscrambled signal. She saw him scanning the room, moving one cautious step at a time, the faint shimmer of his PK shield around him. She followed the signal further in, toward the parietal lobe, and the raw visual input was joined by a sense of Victor's own body awareness, the movement of his limbs, the heat that flushed his skin. From there, she tried to pass into the frontal lobe, where sensory data joined with conscious thought and the will to action. And there, she ran up against that frustrating pattern of fragments again. Her abbey half had a sudden insight. I'm using the wrong power. She added her ESP to the mix, and a picture of the inside of Victor's head revealed itself. A silvery network of tiny wires and transistors, weaving amongst the neurons and glial cells, interfacing with synapses and splitting the signals between organic and cybernetic components. And all along that network, like tiny insects swarming through a nest, a host of nanomachines worked nonstop, maintaining the incredibly complex circuitry. Sasha Abbey was impressed, and horrified. This was the secret weapon the vampires had been working on. Not an anti-teep virus, but a cybertech scrambler to block telepathic intrusion. The vamps themselves didn't have anything to worry about. Their minds couldn't be read anyway. But a tool like this would give their human ghouls nearly the same level of protection. If they got these things into the heads of all their minions, the Collective would have a hard time learning about their plans fast enough to counter them. And now Victor was turning that power against his own people, the traitorous bastard. All of these insights took only a matter of seconds. Unfortunately, seconds were all Sasha Abbey had. As she took her hard-won knowledge and tried to apply it, looking for a way to shut down or bypass the neural network... Victor appeared around the last set of shelves. There you are, honey, Victor said. He bared his teeth at Abby's body, in an expression that couldn't even remotely be called a smile. I've been looking all over for you. Sasha Abby trained her gun on Victor, more out of reflex than anything else. He hardly seemed to notice. I'm not going back with you, Victor. She said it through Abby's mouth, not wanting to give away their plan to Victor. Even as she spoke, she continued prying at his mind, looking for the connections where the Nanopixie's influence ended. What could she do to him that might still get through? Oh, I know you're not, Victor said, that ugly not-a-smile splitting his face again. I wouldn't take you back anyway, you backstabbing little whore. But no, see, you have something that belongs to me. A knife dropped into his hand from a hidden sheath under his leather coat. I'm just here to take it back. Sasha Abby covered her pregnant belly in a protective gesture. She moved her Sasha body squarely in front of Abby, pointing the barrel straight at Victor's heart. You're not taking anything. She said it with Sasha's voice this time. Inside his head, she found a vulnerable spot. Victor's own telepathic abilities still functioned, and while his half-cybernetic consciousness kept her from manipulating him or stunning him with a psychic blast, he could still feel people's emotions. She took all of her fear, her pain, and her terror, amplified the signal through her combined powers, and channeled them straight into the telepathic receptors of his brain. Victor reeled, his mouth open in a silent scream, as he stumbled back away from them. Sasha aimed and fired, three shots in quick succession. Victor raised a PK shield, but it was weak and not fully formed. The shots only deflected instead of stopping cold. One of them struck him in the left arm, while a second grazed his shoulder. The third caromed off and hit one of the shelves, smashing a line of bottles. He grunted in pain and dropped the knife he'd been holding. At the same time, Sasha Abbey felt his walls go up, shutting off his telepathy, and with it, the gap in his defenses. "'Bitch!' he growled, reaching out with his telekinesis. Sasha Abbey felt the pull of the gun on her hand and hit the button to eject the magazine before it was torn from her grasp. Victor tossed the weapon aside. I don't need a weapon to kill you. Sasha's body reached for her backup revolver but was stopped by a sudden force pulling back on her neck. Through Abby's eyes, she saw Sasha's yew tree crucifix constricting around her like a garrote, cutting off her oxygen as the same invisible force pinned her to the wall. Sasha Abby moved her other body forward, clutching at Victor to try to make him stop, but he snarled and shoved her backward. She landed hard against the shelves and fell to the floor, the wind knocked out of her. Sasha Abbey felt herself losing contact with Sasha's body, as the lack of oxygen and the ongoing toxic effects of the Mad John reinforced one another. She made one desperate, final push with her combined psychic powers, trying to batter down Victor's shields with the raw force of their psychic pain. Victor flinched under the assault and his grip faltered for an instant, but it was too little, too late. Sasha Abbey had nothing else to follow up with, no weapons at hand to exploit the opportunity. Sasha's body went limp, and Victor tossed it contemptuously aside. Sasha's consciousness was still fused with Abbey's, but their group mind immediately felt the loss of power and the accompanying loss of the hyper-awareness that the Mad John had given them. The part of her that had been Sasha felt a tugging inside her, as if she were being pulled apart. An indefinable something left her then, slipping out of her grasp as it moved beyond even the realm of psychic perception. The part that was left had to deal with the knife that Victor plunged straight into Abby's belly. Pain like nothing either woman had ever experienced tore through their shared body, The knife dragged against her flesh, and Sasha Abbey realized that Victor, in his madness, was trying to cut Darla out of her. She curled up and grabbed the knife with both hands, desperately trying to protect Darla, but Victor struck her in the face with a telekinetic blow that sent her sprawling. Oh no you don't, Victor raged, pulling the knife back to his hand and sending it into her with another telekinetic thrust. I'm taking back what's mine, bitch! You can't have it! Victor's second knife thrust came in too low. Darla woke up as the blade passed through her mother's womb and buried itself in her infant body. Her psychic scream tore through Sasha Abby's mind and Victor's alike, and the man fell to his knees. His moan of agony turned into a howl of rage as he pulled the knife out and sent it flying into Abby's gut once more. This one buried itself to the hilt in the center of her womb. He had apparently given up on taking back his child and was simply trying to make the screams stop. Darla twitched one last time and went still. The silence that followed was deafening. Sasha Abbey lay helpless, bleeding out, as Victor stumbled to his feet and staggered out of the room, clutching his wounded arm. She could hear the psychic voices of other telepaths converging on the area from the floors above, sending earnest promises that help was on the way. Too late, she thought, overwhelmed with grief and loss. It's already too late. Mercifully, then. The darkness took her. And that's the end of Chapter 55. Come back next time, as Daniel and the summer cell deal with the terrible losses they have suffered. Tony Cade Bambara said... Writing is one of the ways I participate in transformation. So I hope you've been brushing up on your shapeshifting spells, because it's time for the Weekly Writing Report. This update covers the period of December 4th through December 24th. For the last three weeks, I haven't done any fiction writing at all. Partly, this is because of the same factors I talked about in November, long days at work, and long hours of darkness. But this month, I've also just been working on a lot of other things. Sending out holiday cards, decorating and baking for Christmas, editing audio, reading books. Most of all, I've been spending a lot more time this December playing the piano, rehearsing for services at my church. Christmas music always takes a little extra time to get right, both because it's not in our regular music rotation and because the music tends to be more complex. I'm writing this on the afternoon after our Christmas Eve service, and I'm looking forward to having a break from the long hours of practicing so I can start writing again. At the same time, though, playing these pieces for Advent and Christmas was deeply satisfying for me, and I don't regret taking the time to do it well. My heart feels full and at peace, And in a time when a lot of folks report that they're having trouble getting into the spirit of the holidays, I take that as a tremendous blessing. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorcityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900. Then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author chris lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2021 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License, So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.